0: Bible says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. And I believe Jordan Hollowell is an example, and I am very proud to be able to work with him here at the church. It's amazing as you look around and you see the young people as as they grow, as they mature, as they come to a point where they make a decision that they want to follow Christ, as they continue to grow from there. I've been here... I don't know how long, but I've been to the point where I've seen some that put on Christ and the time before they put on Christ, and now they're graduating. They're getting out of school. Some are in college. And it's such a joy to see people like Jordan Hollowell. and I thank him for reading our scripture. He did a fine job. As I look around, I want to say thank you for coming back. When Brother Tim mentioned this morning, he said that Jared would be speaking tonight, I had a little chill go down my neck. There was a fear all of a sudden. I said, well, now no one's coming. But I'm glad that you're here. Tonight we will be looking at the verses that Jordan just read. Going the extra mile. The song that Brother Billy just led, that Brother Billy led just a few moments ago. The greatest commands, love one another. Love one another. As we look at Matthew 5, the first sermon that is recorded that Jesus ever spoke or that that he was preaching as he spoke there at the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he isn't too far into his lesson being we started back at the beginning of the chapter. And you get down to the end of chapter 5 and it's almost as though he goes through some of the Beatitudes all over again. But tonight I wanted to take a few moments to look at going the extra mile. Meaning going above and beyond. Going further than one might expect. It's puzzling or it's, it's something that's very special to that of Christianity that really goes against everything else in the world. You know, it would be so much easier to convert people if all we had to do was to pick up a gun... And say repent or die. It would be so much easier to, to go out and convince people that they had to follow Christ. If we just said it's my way or it's death. But there's something special about Christianity because we can't do that. You know God had something special in mind when he set up this institution, the church. Because God requires a choice on the part of individual. He requires a choice from you and from me because... Now it comes down to me making a decision to love God. It comes down to me making a decision to put God first. And as we look in Matthew chapter 5, God takes that love one step further into the sense that now as a Christian, you show the world because He first showed you. If you would, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And as we consider going the extra mile going above and beyond, doing far more than might be expected of you, we'll notice the plan that Christ had for how the church would act, how Christ had designed that Christians could be known for being Christians. We'll begin by looking at the old message, which we'll see that Christ references. We'll look then at the new message, which Christ gives to them. them. And then finally, we'll look at the saving message... Because Christ, or God, has a plan. This morning, Donald touched on the idea of God's plan. We've got God's way and we've got man's way. And we want to be on the way that leads home. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And we'll be sticking with this context for throughout the service. So I'd encourage you to keep your fingers there. In Matthew chapter 5, notice first in verse 38. In verse 38, it says, You have heard that it was said. Once upon a time, back in the old law, it was said, prior to what I'm telling you now, it has been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. The problem is, the Jews took it a little too far. They took it to an extreme, they took it to mean more than what it had been intended for. It's not that Christ came to destroy the law. It's not Christ Christ came to uh, destroy what had been said, but if you look here, when it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we've got the idea that will come into play in the following verses. Notice in verse 39, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. The idea that the Jews had was not only an eye for an eye, but, but rather to the point of If they do it to you, do it back. If they do something to you, return the evil. Not just just having a desire to do what's right for others, but rather evil for evil. For for returning what had been done to them. Christ references the law here, and he's talking about the, the rule of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I believe as you look at this law here, this would be something that our lawmakers today could learn a lot from. If you look at the judicial part, if you look at the judicial side, which I believe was the intended use, we see the the idea that when a person did something, the consequences came back in the same way. And I doubt they suffered the same crime we do today. You can go to other countries where people that that steal, that the consequences are much greater than what we suffer today. It's much greater than a little slap on the wrist and we can see what happens with those that commit those crimes. Well, it doesn't happen near as often. I I believe the judicial side here is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In fact, it's referenced, if you go back, you can look in Exodus chapter 21. You can look at Leviticus chapter 24. uh, Also in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Verses 17 through 21, you can see how the judicial system was set up, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. There was harm that happened to a person. And it says, for instance, in Exodus chapter 21, if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. It was an equal consequence for the crime that's committed. If you look as you continue on in verse 24, it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. There was an equal consequence that took place. But now Jesus is going to tell us something different. I believe the judicial system today could still learn from this principle. But Jesus says, how about that Christian? How about your daily activities? How about living life as a Christian? Look in verse 39 and following through 42. It says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So we see the idea of going above and beyond, going much higher, doing much greater things to the evil that happened to them. Skip down, go down to the next verse, and we'll see the other old law that's mentioned. In verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So they have the idea that Since they were commanded to love their enemy, that as long as I, I mean, as they were commanded to love their neighbor, they took the idea that then that means everybody else I can go against. If you look back at the Old Law, it's recorded to love their neighbor in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. And in fact, in the Old Law, maybe it's possible that they were looking at the idea of those that were false teachers. For instance, as they go in and they take over the land of Canaan. They were told not to make peace with them. In fact, they were to to do away with them. If you look in uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 11 through 16, it talks about not taking any part because they don't want to be taken to follow after these idols that were in the land. If you zone in specifically on verse 12, it says, Take heed yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, and it be a snare to you because it could take you down. So maybe it's because that they, they saw that, they said, oh, well, we're supposed to hate our, hate our enemy as long as we have love for our neighbor. It could be that when they go a little further in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, they were told to utterly destroy the nations because, once again, they were evil, and that wickedness, they didn't want it to come, in, to come into their assembly. They didn't want it to come in to uh, their religion. They didn't want it to change them and draw them away from the truth. So we see the old message, we see the old guidelines, and perhaps that's that's why they got a little off course. Maybe that's why they they took it wrong and they decided if you love your neighbor, you can hate everybody else. Love the person that's close to you, love the Jew, but uh, as long as you don't love anybody else. But as you look at that, Jesus lays out the new message. Christ lays out the new plan. Zone in specifically on verse 39, which we already read. It says, But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Don't don't resist an evil person. There's a a saying that you hate the sin, not the sinner. Within, Within Christianity, as you look around, as you go out into the world and you see people, I hope that when you see people, you think about souls. I hope when you see people, you think about a person that needs the gospel or a person that needs to be striving to follow Christ as we look at the individual opposing the man wasn't God's plan but opposing the sin opposing what they might have stood for what they might have represented what evil that there might have been oppose that which is evil it says in verse 39 I tell you not to resist an evil person but still at the same time we must resist their actions Now, as you go through this, just as with everything else, there are things that can be taken too far. When I was a young boy, I loved to be a jokester. I'm sure you would have never guessed. But when I was a young boy, uh, there would be times where my parents would tell me to do things such as tie your shoes. Well, there's an extreme there. Chances are, mom and dad meant bend over, your shoe is untied, and I want you to tie it. But then I would run up to my closet, I would tie all my shoes together and I'd bring a big old string down. I'd have nine or ten shoes and I'd have them all tied up. And I'd say, I tied my shoe. That's, that's not what I meant. That's not what I was telling you to do. The shoe on your foot, Jared. It's very easy to go to an extreme. It's very easy to not use common sense. But at the same time, if we use common sense, the context makes a whole lot more sense. Notice at the end of verse 39 it says, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As you look here within the context, they have the person that that is slapped and yet they go so far as to do the unthinkable. They turn the other cheek. Now there is an instance where you could say that you could take that too far. In fact, if you look at Jesus right before he was crucified, as he was there and... We see Jesus is struck on the cheek. If you look at John chapter 18. Notice down in John chapter 18 and verse 22. Uh, as he, Jesus answers the high priest. He says, he, well as they, as they slapped Christ with a the hand. They said, do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus answered and he said, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? There's an extent here where Jesus says, I didn't deserve it. What have I done? So you can take it still too far. And the same goes with each of the others. In verse 40, it says, If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. We're talking about the cloak, the, outer, the, the tunic and the cloak. You have your outer garment, you have their inner garment, the one that they would have had to have. Within law, it said, You can't take a cloak from the person. They could take their tunic, however, not to take their cloak. Uh, Here, we have the idea of going above and beyond. Can I have that? Why, sure, take this too. The Christian goes above above and beyond to show the love of Christ. To show the love of God and its evidence through the action of the individual. If you look at James chapter 4 verse 7 thinking back to verse 39 it says I tell you not to resist an evil person but yet if you look at James chapter 4 verse 7 it says therefore submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you it's not that we can't resist evil we're told to resist Satan We're we're told to resist the devil but there's a an extent where we can still try and help that person if you go on down Uh, If you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be true. Abhor what is evil, cling to that which is good. Again, down a little bit further in Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, it says, Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. I believe here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40 through 42, that is the picture. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. If there's one thing that would be a slap in the face to the person that is trying to tear you down, it would be for you to build them up. It would be for you to turn the other cheek. You be the one that takes the wrong. You be the one that stands for God and then suffers suffers the wrong. We see the person that is sued. What do they do? They give them uh, their cloak also. You see the person that is compelled to go one mile. He says, take it a step further. Go with them too. We see love as evidence throughout the lifestyle of the individual. Retaliating to the man was not in God's plan. Looking here within the context, the point is, what step do you take when you're wronged? What step does the person take when it goes against what you would expect? I was recently speaking with my father on the phone and he went down to an Indian tribe uh, in, in New Mexico and they were working there on the reservation for a week. And while they were there, uh, dad told one of the little boys that, that God loved him and the boy spit in his face. And being a much better person than me, but although studying this, uh, I'll give him credit, it was the right thing, Dad reached down and hugged the little boy after doing that. There is a point of suffering the wrong which is right. However, I myself, I would say that would be a very difficult thing to do. It would be very difficult not to pick the boy up and teach him a lesson right there. But within the Christian plan... Maybe one day that love that is experienced will strike a chord. Maybe one day that love that the person feels from the actions directed toward them, it'll change them. And I believe that is the goal. Wrecking vengeance on the adversary wasn't God's plan. If you look at Matthew chapter five verse 40 through 42. God's plan was that of doing good. It's always doing good. It's encouraging people to do right by that which is right. Many religions in the world today, we have a a separate idea. We can show them that they need to be like us because if they don't, they don't have a chance. They don't have a life. They don't have anything to live for. And so, therefore, we have within God's new message the plan of living life. Skip down to verses 44 and 45. It says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We have standing for God's plan. We must stand for what God's design is. If you notice in, in verse 40 and 42, they are really catering to the man. They cater to the person to lift them up, to encourage them. Notice as you look at verse 44 where it said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. The one that did the opposite, return kindness, return love. It says, do good to those who hate you. Doing good when the opposite's what happens. And it says, pray for those that spitefully use you. Notice everything was returned with kindness. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, kill them with kindness. I'm not the best person at doing it, but I know when I do it, it works. The times where I flare back and I, I decide to take them, take them to task or to tell them, tell them what's really right. It just doesn't have the same effect. Killing them with kindness is really the idea that's here. Within Christianity, you don't have to kill them at all. But yet, you're so sweet that they are overcome with that Christian principle. They are overcome with that Christian design. And therefore, one day, hopefully, they will come to the point where they desire to do what's right. As you go on in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Do good to those that is due. Go down to 2 Corinthians, or forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, it says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, if uh, if you catch here in... In verse 45, that me, you may be the sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. As you look at God's plan within that of doing good to those around you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, it says, Concerning these things, I plead with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Now, if you look at Paul, as he was suffering, uh, he asked, and yet he didn't receive. Now, as we notice within the plan of Christianity, it says, whatever they ask of you, they did for them. But yet there's an extent at which it can be too far. In fact, God told Paul, sorry, can't do that for you. He said, my grace isn't sufficient for you. So whatever he was suffering with, he had to continue to suffer with. In James chapter 4, verse 3, once again it says, You ask and you do not receive. Not everything did you ask that you asked for did you get. Uh, Even here, the person asked for a lot, and not always are they going to get it. So in James chapter 4, verse 3, it's because they ask amiss. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. We see God's divine plan. Repay no one evil for evil. Don't do evil to them just because they did evil to you. Now that's different than what the Jews had been thinking. That's opposite of what the Jews had thought and that's opposite of what they had taken all this to mean. And that's why Christ is saying, change it, fix it. But I say unto you, there's a better way. Looking also at... Caring for man is God's plan. God sustains life even for those that are ungodly. God is good to the ungodly. God is good to us. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, it says that God is the, or Christ is the Savior of all men. He cares for all. Notice in verse 45, it says that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God takes care of everyone. Being that God is willing to give even those that are evil, He gives them the rain. In the same way, you and I treat the person even though they're evil, treat them with love. And hopefully we can encourage and help and change them. Finally, let's look at at standing on God's plan. We've got standing against God's plan. We've got standing for God's plan. And now let's look at standing on God's plan. The hope for the church is within God's plan for everyone to love another, to love everyone. If you look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, we'll all know the verse very well. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also unto them. You see the plan? Now, it didn't say, therefore, what they did to you, do to them. It says what you would have them to do to you. Treat them in a good way. Treat them how you would desire to be treated. The hope for the church is God's love shown for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us while we were lost, while we were the ones that spit on him, while we were the ones that yelled, crucify him, crucify him. We see love extended. We see Christ going the extra mile. The question is, are we willing to go the extra mile? Are we willing to do what he did? Let's look quickly at the saving message. Notice the beginning of verse 45. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He gave a list. We read them. He said, do this. Go the extra mile. When you're sued, give him extra Go above and beyond, and then he comes down, and in verse 45, right after he says, love those that hate you, love your enemies, bless them that persecute you, pray for them that spitefully use you. Now he says, after all that, do these things that, so that, in order so, in order to be sons of your Father, in order to be numbered in the few, numbered in the saved. Mankind should have the desire to be the sons of their father. Father, That's the point in verse 45. He draws out in order that, so that you can be this, do these things. So we have the list of how we ought to act, and he says, because because of doing that, you can be counted as sons of your father. He said, we have treating others with love in the heat of problems is the the thing that's exhorted, going above and beyond. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, It's as we therefore have opportunity to let us do good unto all men, especially them of the household of faith. Finally, let's look at mankind should have the desire to be perfect. Look at verse 48. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oftentimes I believe we understand the idea of perfect because true, for, true perfection is in Christ. But the thing is, we're to be in Christ. We're to be in Christ and be perfect through Him. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 uh, we talk about the man of God may be complete, be perfect, they can be what they need to be through studying God's Word and living for Christ. You can look also in Matthew chapter 19 In verse 21, as Jesus is speaking there, he says, If you want to be perfect, go and sell what the house and give to the poor, and you will lay treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now the point is there was something between this man. There's something that stood between him and God. There's something that t- stood between him and being perfect, being complete, being whole, being the man that God would have him to be. He says, if you would be perfect, go and change your life and follow me. Sell what you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. There are many things that could be that thing that stands in the way. But our desire needs to be perfect. Be completed in Christ. Perfection can only be found in Christ. Him we preach in Colossians chapter 1, and verse 28. And it goes on to say that we may present every man perfect in Christ. There's a way that we can be complete. There's a way that we can be whole. There's a way that we can be obedient to the saving message. Are we willing to go to the point where we do whatever it takes to follow Christ? That's the point in Matthew 19, verse 21. Are you willing to take that last step to put you in that right relationship? I don't know what it might be that holds you back. I don't know what it might be that has kept you from doing what's right. But tonight is the night God has a plan that mankind can be saved by obeying Him, by following Him, by believing in Him, by being willing to repent of the things that are wrong, by being willing to change the things that are wrong in their lives, just as they were told in Acts 2.38. And then He told them, and be baptized. They had one more step that still had to come, and then we have a promise, and ye shall receive remission of sins. We have... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have repentance and baptism, two things that are required for the individual. And upon that, they would be added to the church. As you go forward and you say, and the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. If you have not been baptized into Christ, we want to encourage you If you haven't given your life to Christ, we want to encourage you. If you have and you've fallen back, we want to encourage you. Within the church, the plan is to do good to all men. The desire is that all men can be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. If we can help you in your spiritual life, we want to do that. We ask that you please come as we stand and sing.